Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rookie Life Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Prophet, and I'm so excited for today's episode number three. We've been working on a series called Take Care of Yourself, and today we're focusing on the last element in our series, mental health. Y'all, I cannot stress to you how important mental health is and how this often overlooked aspect of our lives plays such a role into our overall health. I'll be speaking with a dear friend of mine who is a doctor in mental health and someone who has so much to offer us. You do not want to miss the stories she shares about her professional and personal experiences. And if you're new here and wondering what The Rookie Life is all about, well, let me tell you. We focus on what it means to start something new, even when you have no idea where to begin, how to develop new skills in all areas of your life, and how to find that it factor that'll keep you motivated every single day. So join us as we dive headfirst into what it means to be a rookie. Come on, rookies. We all have to start somewhere. Hey rookies, and welcome to episode number three. We're finishing our series, Take Care of Yourself, and I'm super pumped for today's interview. If you've ever personally wondered about mental health, therapy, or overcoming past traumas, well, you are in the right place today, my friends. Dr. Quincy Gideon is a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist working in Los Angeles, California. She received her bachelor's degree from Texas A&M University and went on to study for a master's in professional counseling at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, before moving to L.A. to pursue her doctorate degree in clinical psychology at Fuller Theological Seminary. That is a mouthful, but I am telling y'all, I only bring you the best and the brightest, and Quincy has got it all. But wait, there's more. It gets even better. During and throughout her graduate studies... She founded and ran a nonprofit organization called Nameless Project, which worked to psychologically rehabilitate former child soldiers after they were rescued from war in Uganda. Her work primarily focused on providing sound and culturally appropriate trauma care to vulnerable individuals. While she was also studying to be a psychologist, she began working in a private practice focusing on walking patients through traumatic experiences to help them live more robust and meaningful lives. So what's she up to today? She currently holds a position as a staff psychologist at Twin Towers Correctional Facility in downtown LA, which is the largest mental health facility in the country. Oh yeah, did I forget to mention? That's also a jail. She also continues to practice trauma care and private practice in Santa Monica. Rookies, I just cannot wait for us to dive into this interview and share with you Quincy's story and her hope for everyone. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Quincy. Okay, so hi everybody. It's Crystal Prophet here with The Rookie Life, and today we have with us Quincy Gideon, who is going to be helping us talk, um, round out our series for taking care of yourself. And the topic that we're going to discuss today is just so near and dear to my heart. It's mental health because it's so important that we take care of ourselves and, um, how we talk to ourselves and how we treat ourselves is just so important. So hi Quincy, thank you for coming on the show today. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is quite the honor. Yes. Well, I'm just, okay, so I want to get this correct. So you have gone through, uh, we've kind of covered all your credentials, but am I safe to assume that, are you Dr. Quincy Gideon? Is that I how am. you're addressed? That's so awesome. I, I am. That still makes me very nervous. Sounds <laughs> like I should know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I love it. No, I just, I love having powerful women and positive women that are just out there doing amazing things. And I'm just kudos to you. I'm so proud of you and all your hard work. Well, thank you. Thank you. So we've heard a little bit about your background and your accomplishments, but kind of give us a snapshot of how you began this journey and what made you choose to go into the field of psychology. So I would say that my journey probably started um, in the most real way in my freshman year of uh, college. I went to Africa, into Zambia, Africa, um, for a while, um, for an extended trip, and I was working with AIDS orphans at the time. Um, At that time, Zambia had the highest um, AIDS rate in the entire world, and I was sitting in a social problems class um, because I was a sociology major at Texas A&M, and uh, was dumbfounded by the impact that this uh, disease or virus um, was having. And so um, I grew up in a spiritual family and missions was a huge part of what I did most summers anyway. And because I had moved to college, I was anxious to figure out what my first um, you know, summer at college was going to look like. So I went to Zambia. I was flabbergasted at the destitution, at the impoverishment, at the suffering, and then also the sense of community and the resilience and uh, the uh, wellness that walked hand in hand with some of the trauma that these people had experienced. And I just felt like an idiot. Honestly, I felt like my small world is not big enough to understand what's going on here. So that probably started a fire in me. Um, I ended up going back to Africa multiple times over my career. And each time I was just confronted with my inability to really address the trauma that was in front of me. I very much felt like the hug and pray it away um, mentality was not enough. It wasn't doing justice to the life experiences that people had and um, the healing that they were hoping for. So I went to Nigeria in 2008, I believe, and um, had a very powerful moment. I contracted malaria, which was extra special. And so while uh, in the bed and suffering, um, I, I sort of realized what, what it must feel like to be there and be sick and to not have options. And then, and then you add a mental health component, a trauma component to that. And suddenly, um, things feel really heavy all at once. And so I came back, um, to the States and almost immediately started, uh, looking into jobs, uh, social work jobs and, and different things like that. Because I was graduating in 2009, um, there wasn't a lot of jobs available in, uh, community mental health care just because, um, budgets had to be shrunken and there just wasn't a lot of resources. So I thought, you know, the end goal anyway is for me to get a master's. And so I started looking for a program and, 
um, and then jumped right into that. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I will tell you that at the very same time, I started um, also interning with a couple of nonprofits um, whenever I was in Nashville and um, very much thought that um, not enough attention was being paid to mental health care um, in their initiatives. And so um, in 2010, I started my own nonprofit that focused on the psychological rehabilitation of, of child soldiers. So um, I had uh, sort of focused, after Nigeria, I'd focused all of my energy on Eastern Africa, Eastern and Central Africa. So Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo uh, were the most war-torn at the time and uh, had just survived a 30-year um military occupation, um, from the LRA and there was children that were being stolen from their homes in the middle of the night, entire communities, um, being brutalized and murdered, um, among many other awful things. Um, and then these children were forced into the Lord's resistance army and they were forced to, uh, participate in war, um, eventually they would become too old and in some ways less impressionable or less effective. Um, they sort of looked like shells of human beings, um, because their trauma was just so significant. And so they would be left in the middle of, um, the bush and they would be, uh, rescued. And my organization would come in and attempt to reintegrate them back into their communities. And that was a very, very long process. Um, it started with, um, uh, they kind of lived in these small little villages in Northern Uganda outside of Gulu. And, um, they would, really struggle. Um, they couldn't go to markets because they would be turned away or even verbally abused, sometimes run out of town, you know, with sticks. And, um, and so we started, uh, an initiative with community gardens. Um, and we attempted to teach people how to take care of their most basic needs. And then we used the ideas of a garden, the metaphors of community gardens to teach them psychological things. So for instance, one of the things that we would talk about often is boundaries. Um, in a collectivistic culture, boundaries are a little bit weird, but then when you've been traumatized, they're almost necessary to reinstate um, because you've lost all sense of where you begin and where the world ends. And and so we would use the fence around the garden as a metaphor to boundaries. And we would talk for weeks about that with a group of child soldiers about how they could maintain healthy boundaries, how um, they are important and worthy of taking care of themselves and um, taking seriously what they need and letting people know how they could help all of those things. So um, is that enough of a snapshot? <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I'm just sitting here and you know, like I, like I told you earlier, like I'm, I'm at home and I'm in my home office. My kids are in there probably fighting over what snack they're going to have <laughs> and what show they're going to watch on TV. And this just really, you just blew my mind mm -hmm. because it's just perspective, you know, mm -hmm. it's, 
we see, like you said, you had this little world and then all of a sudden it just got immensely bigger when you traveled. And I've been to other countries as well, but I've nothing of the impact of what you've seen, I'm sure, of especially war-torn countries where it's just children and families and just a, a very long time. I don't even know if it's decades or centuries of just abuse in multiple different ways. And that just... Wow. Like you just totally, I had, a, I had planned on us talking about a totally different thing. And now you just <laughs> took me down this. Wow. So, so you said, you know, you, you went back multiple times. And, um, so I'm curious it, every time you traveled, um, to help people and even still today with your current, um, you know, patients and the people that mm-hmm. you work with, how does this, impact you on a personal level like how do you not just throw everything down and say okay I'm going to save this one person or I'm going to do you mm-hmm. know like I'm, I'm sure yeah. there's millions of causes so how how does that affect you on a personal level well I learned a lot about myself when I was traveling internationally so much I mean you're sleep deprived you're not eating right you go days on end weeks on end without any sort of exercise or even movement or moments of self-reflection. I mean, it's just life is coming at you fast and there's another crisis to manage um, all of the time. And I found myself um, burned out, I think would be the best word. I just could not hardly put one foot in front of the other. I also felt like it robbed me, um, this movement so quickly forward and taking seriously every crisis and wanting so badly to be helpful and effective. I think it also distracted me in my own personal life. And, and then those things got muddy. And so I had a lot of really hard lessons. Um, but it has, led me to a place, I think, mostly through my doctorate. Um, you know, that's a sustained experience of deprivation when you're in, <laughs> when you're in grad school yes. and you are having to come to terms with your own impoverishment and, um, your own sacrifice. And you spend many years doing free mental health care. And yet you are a shell because of the stress Uh, both of the grad school program. And then also I was running an international nonprofit. So I just barely had um, two brain cells to rub together at the end of the day. And so um, I, I kind of reached a point of emotional collapse, I would say when my personal life um, was falling apart, I was going through a divorce. I um, had just moved across the country to start this grad program. And then suddenly there was nothing else on the calendar that I could do except take care of myself and figure out what in the world that even meant. Um, Because I didn't know. And um, I didn't even know myself. I didn't know what felt good. I didn't know what comforted me. I didn't know what I wanted when I was distressed. I would, I, you know, I was just sort of a mess. And also at the very same time, learning how to walk people through their deepest trauma. So I think, um, as I was learning to become a therapist and as I was learning to become, um, a psychologist, I was also learning how to become a fuller me. Um, I was having to take very seriously my own mental health care, my own therapy. I was having to 
take very seriously what felt good and what wasn't going to get done because I was going to go for that run because that felt good. And what wasn't going, what emails I was not going to reply to that had emergency in the um, subjects line because I just can't look at my computer anymore. Um, And so in doing that, in just sort of learning what I needed and what I wanted, what for me as an individual felt really good, I think I also learned to restructure things. And that was helpful for everyone involved, right? That was helpful for my staff um, in Uganda for me to say, I, you know, um, gently will not be answering any more phone calls in between the hours of midnight and 4 a.m., Because I just have to sleep. I have to sleep. Um, And so you'll need to hold it or we need to put together a crisis plan that if you need me, then really you need someone that's not across the world from you, that you actually need someone that's right there. So we need to get people together that can help you um, when you're in that space. And that was that was hard. I think people had uh, opinions about it. I had both guilt and relief. Um, I think at that point in my life, I probably could have napped for three years um, (laughs) straight. And so I welcomed the, the silent phone. I learned how to just turn my phone off um, and, and trust that people survived war before I got there and they were going to find a way to survive this too. And that if I was well rested, I could be more effective and helpful in the morning. So I, it was a, it was a restructuring and a, and a long process. Well, that's great. That actually kind of segues into the next question I have, which you touched on it completely is about stress. I mean, I talked to everyone Everyone, you walk down the street, you know, it's mm-hmm. going, oh, I'm so stressed out. Or, mm-hmm. Oh, I have this. or I have this. I'm a working parent and I'm stressed out. I'm a stay-at-home parent and I'm stressed out. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to make it through the day just, you know, and not screaming at anybody, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. So you've touched on kind of what you've done for self-care and um, stress on a personal level. Now, what advice would you give to someone who just walks in, plops down and says, I'm absolutely overwhelmed and I don't know where to begin? Mm. Touch on that. Well, first of all, this can't substitute for actual mental health care. Um, So I just want to say that out loud. But I think um, I will talk very much about uh, how I work as an individual and um, and and what happens whenever I see someone stressed outside of me. Um, My first thought is okay. Our instinct is to speed up. And get more done, get it off your plate, do something about what is happening inside of you, that stress response. And I think what is actually most helpful and what can be counterintuitive is the slowing down. So I find myself very often sort of speaking slower with someone that's really stressed out and softer and inviting them into a slower rhythm Because if we stop running so hard (laughs) after things, what is really stressing us out might come to the surface. It might rise to the surface for us. And if we can pay attention to that, then we can deal with the real stuff in life instead of just adding or stockpiling an experience of stress. Yes. 
Okay. Well, I think, yeah, no, that's like a hundred percent. I'm just sitting here as you were slowing down, my brain was uh-huh. slowing down too. And I was like, Oh, this is what she means. This is and yeah. that's what I need more of. And I actually, I get up at five, five fifteen in the morning. And that's when I have my downtime is actually uh-huh. the first thing in the morning because uh-huh. I have three little ones and a dog and they're just now that it's summer break and it's insanity already. Like I feel Uh like I'm living in a frat house all of a sudden. (laughs) So it's like, okay, where am I going to get this pause Uh to where I can figure out how do I need to take care of myself first for the day Uh so I can keep everyone else alive? (laughs) Yes. And the rhythmic um, ways in which you do that, the setting of the alarm, the doing it, Um, at a predictable time every day, the uh, practice of slowing yourself down or shutting out outside influence for just a second. Um, I think that's all, you're right on the money. It must happen for us if we want to take seriously stress and the impact it's having on us. Okay, well that that is actually a good, another segue because I was thinking in preparing to talk to you today, I thought what are some of the questions that I have that can really apply to a general audience. And I kept thinking about, um, I need to go get a yearly physical. That's just something Mm, I've mm -hmm. just moved recently. And I'm like, I got to find another doctor. I need to go get my physical. But is there something that we should be doing on a yearly basis uh, Mm. for our mental health? Or is that just kind of a self-awareness we should have? Well, I think self-awareness is acquired. I think that we live in such a fast-paced society that we learn very, very young to not pay attention to ourselves. Um, I think we have a lot to learn from little ones that will literally throw themselves down on the ground and say, I'm done Uh with whatever this is. I'm done with it. I have one of those at home. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, I can appreciate that because at some point we stopped paying attention to ourselves um, in in the things that were coming up. So I think self-awareness is learned. And I think it happens through uh, ritualistic self-care. So what I mean about that is that I do not mean that self-care feels the same for everyone. Um, I think that... um, you know, I would rather like do anything else than, um, sit in a bath, a hot bath. It feels (laughs) gross to me, (laughs) but that is some people's self care. But I think what is actually most important is that I have kind of two columns in my head that I try to, to take very seriously in taking care of ourselves or um, when I'm advising someone on how to do this. One column is how are we slowing down to pay attention to what's going on with us. So that very much could be therapy, that could be yoga, that could be exercise, that could be long walks, that could be standing with your feet um, on the grass and feeling nature because you go all day without doing that. Um, it could be deep breaths. It could be meditation in the morning, but what is actually slowing you down? Um, it could also be taking things off your list. What could you hire someone else to do? Uh, what is not that important? Um, I'm, I was the queen of cleaning my bathroom the night before a big test. Like that wasn't necessary, (laughs) 
but it made me feel like I was doing something. So what could I do to actually take something off my plate? So that's one column, the slowing down. And then I think the other column is taking very seriously that you are um, worthy, that you are important that you must take care of yourself because not one single person is going to take care of you like you will. No one can. No one can pay attention to that aching stomach. You must. (laughs) No one can uh, make sure that you are going to the doctor. You wouldn't want them to manage you in that way anyway. Exactly. Right? So, Mm You ha- no one can take care of you the way that you do. So that means you've got to take care of your teeth because a lot of jobs depend on that smile of yours. Yeah. So go to the dentist even when you don't like it and it overwhelms you. And then again, if that is something that you just can't check off the self-care list, then maybe move into the other list of slowing down and figuring out what that's about. Wow. Um, that's great. Listing the health of someone. So that's going to the doctor. That is, um, for me, it's making my bed every day. That feels so good to come home to a made bed. Um, for me, it is also a, um, my attempts to, I sort of batch, um, things together that I need to do that are kind of the same thing. And I get as many of them done in a set time frame as possible. So last night or yesterday afternoon, I gave myself two hours to get through as many of the administrative uh, tasks that I have in the private practice. But that was it. That was the only time I was going to have. I wasn't going to get to it later. I wasn't going to put it off and get online and like scroll through Instagram. I wasn't going to do any of that stuff. I was just going to do what I needed to get done. And so I try to set aside time um, to actually accomplish. So it can feel really counterintuitive to slow down as much as I'm suggesting that you slow down because I think it makes us anxious that we're not going to get stuff done. And then that's going to stress us out more. Mm -hmm. But what it actually does is give us a lot more energy and focus to do what is important. Um, and so I, there's several self practices I have like every day I make a list of the three most important things that need to be done that day. Um, and I get those done and I set aside time. Um, and it is a limited time. I don't just say, well, I'll get that done tomorrow afternoon. I say tomorrow at three o'clock from three to four, I'm going to do those three big things. Um, and then it's amazing. It's amazing how much easier it is to actually slow down because you did get some stuff done and then how much better it feels to get stuff done because you did slow down. Yes. Yes. Oh, you're you're hitting my hot buttons. I love it. I'm so, I'm all about time management and I have lists for everything, but I'm at the same time, I know that lists can be counterproductive if you just mm-hmm. write everything down, but I prioritize. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I have all this stuff to do. It's an endless list, but what do I have to do today? And mm-hmm. I, just, I love that you touched on all those. Well, um, I wanted to go into um, our next segment, and it's called sure. Keeping It Real. So mm. this is our Keeping It Real questions. We ask okay. all of our guests these. And okay. They're not supposed to be. They're not scary. They're just fun. <laughs> but um, And you've, you've kind of already touched on a few of these already, but um, my first question is what med- motivates you on days when things are just super tough? And I use this analogy with everyone, and it's just funny to hear everyone's reaction. And I think it's because I've done this, so I'm like, 
we're just going to see how everyone else reacts. But <laughs> let's just say you've spilt coffee on your pants first thing in the morning. You know, you're running late and you have flat tire, whatever. Everything's just kind of chaotic and crazy. What do you do to motivate yourself just to get through the rest of the day? Um, I think that motivation is hard because it's scarce and it's a muscle. And once you've used it too much, it gets tired. So I rely much more on a schedule and what is the next thing that I can do. So I, I am rarely in positions anymore. I used to be, but I'm rarely in positions anymore where I'm sort of sitting at my desk slumped over going, Oh, I don't want to do any of this. I just, but I need to get it done. And then I'm in this whirlwind. Um, it's just commitment at a certain point and it's practice commitment. So I know that I can shut my computer and be done when I get those three things on my list done. And so sometimes I'll do them earlier in the day and then the rest of the day feels much more relaxing. And I don't put pressure on myself to do more thing I showed up to do and then that's it. That's so, that's so good to hear, to hear you say that because it's, I've, le- I've never heard. So say that again. What did you say about motivation? It's a muscle. Oh, mm-hmm. so neurologically we have seen in research that uh, motivation is a muscle. And so, um, it, it much like decision-making. So if you are having to use your motivation early in the day and you're really having to use it and expend it, then by the end of the day, you should not expect yourself to go to the gym, eat healthy, make any decisions towards self-care. You're exhausted. I mean, the muscle is literally absolutely exhausted. So what I find to be much more helpful and effective is commitment. So I don't need to be motivated to get these three things done. I just need to get them done. I don't have to like it, but it's an hour of my life. And then once that's done, I've got 23 other hours of the day that I can spend doing other things like meaningfully connecting with people in my private practice in therapy or speaking with someone on the phone and not having to hurry them off because I need to get to something else or, um, not looking at my email. I've already managed everything that was a crisis and I'll come back to it tomorrow. Yeah. That's so good. Oh, I love that. I'm, I'm taking that from you. I'm going to write that down. Deal. I'm going to put Please. it on my wall. I'm like, motivation is a muscle. And once it's done for the day, it is done. It is. It is. Okay. Well, you have accomplished many things. And um, a question that I have is, do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Mm. I used to maybe. I don't know if that's true. No, I rarely go for perfection. I think I am more motivated to achieve. I think that feels really good to me. Um, it feels good to accomplish something that I didn't think I could do or was surprising to others around me or is sort of a new way of thinking about psychology or connection or relationships or trauma or whatever that is. So I think that accomplishing feels really good to me and that kind of keeps me keeps me going. But, um, I sort of have this, um, have this saying, and my friends will laugh at me about this, but I literally cannot get all of my crap together on any given day. There's just no way. So if I, 
if I make my lunch and I take it to work, then I've for sure forgotten to put on socks or forgotten my gym bag. (laughs) Or if I remember my makeup bag, um, then I for sure forgot my wallet. It just, nothing can go the way that it needs to every single day. And so I don't expect that. Now it's just sort of like a funny thing about like, I wonder what I forgot today or I wonder... (laughs) I wonder what's going to happen today. Yes. I love that. No, because that's totally, that's me on so many different levels. It's not so much about forgetting something as it is like, I'm just, I'm going to fall over something later. I'm just so clumsy by nature. I don't know what happened at some point in my life, but I'm just like, okay, like, Ooh, I I didn't trip over that Lego. So I'm watching the rest of the day. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fall over something or, you know, something bad's going to happen. Yes. I understand. But okay, so my last question is, what's the best advice you would give to your younger self? Slow down, girlfriend. Oh, I love that. Um, I think I would also say, how about you try being nice to yourself? You'll get much further. Oh, I love Um, that. Yeah. And I, you know, I still have to revisit those things. I still have moments where I feel like I've messed up on something or I didn't, I'm just missing something and I will have to just sort of slow down and say, my goodness, you are doing a lot and it's not going to ever, ever look exactly the way that you want it to, or that you thought it would. And just be nice because no one, I don't know if I've ever met a single person that has felt motivated by people being mean to them, but that's what we all do to our, in our own heads. So being nicer to ourselves. Yes. I love that. So if everyone out there listening, you hear that, if that's the <laughs> one takeaway you have from all of this, it is be nicer to yourself. Because mm. That's just so good. Well, Quincy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I just kind of wanted to ask, is there anything else that you're working on or is there a place, mm. that, um, a website or social media that people can find out more about you and all the projects yeah. that you're working on? Yes. So you can find me. I'm in private practice in Santa Monica, California. And then I'm also a forensic psychologist at the jail here in downtown LA. So you can find me at quincygideon.com or on Instagram at Dr. Quincy. I have, I put lots of motivational stuff up there just to remind us of the grind that we're all on. And then, um, coming up here in the next couple of months, I'll be launching a podcast too, and you'll be able to find all of that on my website. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll be able to update, um, any of our listeners. We'll make sure and update our show notes whenever we do have that information available. So y'all can find Quincy and follow her guys. Cause she is amazing. I feel so blessed <laughs> to have known her, mm-hmm. you know, from a young age and, you know, with social media and everything, it's just so crazy how we can reconnect with people that mm. we haven't talked to in a long time. And it's just, I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and just keep crushing those goals, girl. Like you were just killing it. Thank you. I'm so happy that I was able to talk to you today. So thank you for coming on the show. And Absolutely. I will, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Quincy's perspective from her work with African war soldiers just blew my mind. Like all the tiny things that I want to gripe and complain about just don't hold a candle to what those individuals must have experienced or continue to experience. So I'm so grateful for the stories she shared and the helpful tips we can all benefit from. But I wanted to share with you the most important things I learned today. Number one, 
practice self-awareness and self-care. Like be aware when things start to look a little haywire in your life or you're not kind of feeling like the norm. Just be aware of that and see how we can take time to slow down. That makes me cringe just doing that because I'm always firing on all cylinders and going like 90 miles an hour. So I love when she started speaking softer and she started speaking slower and my brain literally changed pace. So I need to do this way more often. But, and what are some of the things that we can take off of our list? So this is a personal example for me. I have started outsourcing chores to my kids. I no longer unload the dishwasher. I have them clean the toilets and clean the the counters and the mirrors and stuff because two reasons. One, I don't have time to do all of it. I just don't. It's it's not going to happen. It's not all going to happen. So we do we practice teamwork around here. But two, it's good for them to do some manual labor. But that's a whole another tangent that I'm not going to get on today. So the second important thing we talked about was having the three most important tasks every single day because let's be honest, we can't do everything every single day, but we can do the three most important things. So I love that concept. So let's just get that done for the day. And finally, the last thing and my number one takeaway from today's episode is motivation is a muscle. Guys, once it's worked to exhaustion, it's done for the day. And I've never heard this concept before. At least it's completely foreign to me, but I love the idea that motivation is a finite amount. You don't just have infinite amount of motivation every single day. So once it's gone, it's gone. So I love that idea and I hope you enjoy it too. But um, I wanted to let you know, please go to crystalprofit.com. That's crystal with a K, profit, two F's and two T's. And check out the show notes for this week's episode. And you can also find Dr. Quincy's website and her social media links there. But I'm so happy you joined us here today at The Rookie Life. I'm happy for this series, Take Care of Yourself. And I hope that you got out of it everything that it's just so much good stuff, good content. And I cannot wait to bring you more stuff. But be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of the future episodes. And if you could for me, I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to your podcast app and rate and review the show. I'm going to be choosing random reviewers to receive some really cool stuff, and I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity. But that about does it for episode number three. Stay tuned for next week's show, and be sure to remember, always, keep it up, rookies. We all have to start somewhere.